0: well, good morning. I'm glad you're here. Hey, I had a great night last night at the chili cook-off. I was a judge. And you know, there's been a lot of scandal where things are under the table. So I thought, I'm I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna come right out and say, I said, hey, contestants, I'm for sale. You could just go ahead and, you know, I'm going to the highest bidder. And I told people they were making an investment in the kingdom of God. So I had a great, I had a great night. Uh, Okay, I really didn't do that. Just don't want people to leave. When I was in graduate school at Texas A&M, I was a teaching assistant for Fortran, a language they don't even teach anymore. But one, three or four times, the students would have to uh, write a program, and this is before the personal computer, so they'd have to go to the computer room at the School of Business, and the uh, terminal was attached to the mainframe, and they'd put their program in, and then it wouldn't get, they wouldn't get the information they wanted. They didn't get the printout they wanted. There was a disconnect between what they got and what they thought they were going to get. And so I was in the help desk just off the computer room and they would come to me and we would try and troubleshoot their program. Well, in a similar way, there's a disconnect between humanity and God. And some of us aren't getting what we thought we were going to get. And I want to talk about that disconnect today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to Genesis chapters 2 and chapter 3, and we're going to go through this passage, and we're going to talk about this question. Why? Why do we have a disconnect with God? As you're turning there, uh, Lindsay mentioned on the um, North Point Community Highlights, we are basing this six-week series on, on this book, Basic Training for Walking with Jesus. And, and we are talking through the foundation of our faith, the gospel what it is that we believe. At the end of this, on February 16th, on a Sunday evening, I'm going to spend four weeks really going through the last eight lessons of this book, which talks about how to grow and how to build a relationship with Jesus. So I encourage you, if, if you're in process, uh, invite you to sign up for that. But we really want to nail down what it is we believe. And what we're talking about this morning, the, the fact that there is a gap between us and God, and, and why is that? So, Genesis 2 is, picks up the story of God creating. I don't, it's beyond the scope of this message to, to go into a, a, a long discourse on the theist atheist debate, but I, I would say this I, I haven't read every atheist, not by a long shot, but those that I read, one of the things my contention is they simply skip the question of first cause. Well, it goes all the way back and you had this stuff, but where did that stuff come from? What we're arguing is there is a first cause and there's an infinite God. And he spoke and the world came into existence. And we're picking up in the process of that. God is the creator and in verse seven of chapter two, he intentionally steps in and creates humanity. Here's what it says. Then God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Two thoughts there. A creative God. Out of the dust, he brings humanity. This this body we've got that works so intricately. And then there's an act of intimacy. God breathes life, and life happens. God uses the birthing process, but I would argue every one of you Every one of us here is here because God gave us life. And so God is is going to create a world that is self-sustaining. Verses 8 and 9, God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So this place can sustain life. And in verses 10 through 14, we find out there's four rivers, so there's plenty of water to sustain life. Let me pick it up in verse 15. Then God took the man and put him into the garden to Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord commanded the man, saying, from any tree of the garden you may eat freely. Like, there's a whole bunch of trees. You can eat from all of them, But one, verse 17, but from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Okay, there's all this stuff. There's just one. Can't eat from that. Anyone else's? Any other tree is fair game. Then God said, it's not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Well, can we find a helper in the animals? Verses 19 and 20. Out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle and to the birds of the sky and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. I want to talk about this helper for just a minute. Genesis 1, 26 to 28, would say the helper are co-equals. The word that is used here for helper is the same word that is used for God when he's our helper. So man and women are, and, and women are, are co-regents in subduing this earth together. This is a beautiful act of God bringing two people together to work together the earth. So, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man and he slept. Then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord fashioned into, the, into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. When we talk about marriage, we think it's the first institution that God creates. It's an incredibly intimate act, and we take it seriously that a man and woman come together. They become one flesh. And Yes, God does allow for divorce, but it is never his plan. God forgives divorce? Yes. But but we understand that, that God created marriage and there to be one flesh. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So you know what we have in chapter 2? We have paradise. God has created a place that will sustain life. And he has created man and woman to be in that place. And to work the place and and sustain life. We got paradise. But chapter three things come apart with the insertion of one being. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said? You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? Is that what God said? Is that what he said? You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? No, 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 no. He said, there's a whole bunch of trees there. There's just one tree you can't eat from. But the serpent is beginning to dissect God's word. What's going on? Satan is a created being an angel, created to worship God. But he thought, no, nah, I'm not having any part of that. I want to be my own God. I want to be in charge. I don't want to worship you. I want to call the shots. And he got the, he got the boot. And he's on earth. You know what he wants to do with you and me? Take us with him. So we reject God's rightful rule in our lives. So he starts by saying, did, did God say you, you, you can't eat from any tree? No, that's not what God said. Begin to twist and dissect and kind of take apart. Uh, well, he, he goes on. The woman said to him, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God said you shall not eat from it or touch it. Did God say you can't touch it? No, that's not what he said. Can't eat from it. But confusing who God is in the Word of God, or you will die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die. The consequences aren't that bad. You surely will not die. You looked at what's going on in our world? There's a virus right now in China. It's showing up other places. You know, you know what is happening with the virus? People are what? They're dying. They're dying. You know, if I, if I took a poll here and asked, you know, in the last six months to a year, have, have you lost someone? Maybe maybe family member, friend, have you, have you lost somebody? Yeah. People are dying. Because we rebelled against God. But Satan said, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, no. You surely won't die. What you're saying is God's a liar. You can't trust him. Look what else he says in verse 5. For God knows, this is a serpent speaking, that in the day you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Look, God's holding out on you. You can't eat from that tree. Uh, God's holding out for me because you know evil and good. And then you, you can run the show. God isn't good. He's denying you. He's questioning the very character of God. You would be better off running your own life than having God control you. So the question you and I have to answer is, what do we think of God? What's his character? Let me bring it home. Are you or am I better off running my life? Are you better off running your life? Or are you or I better off letting God call the shots? That's the question you have to answer and I have to answer. Do you believe God is good. Do you believe he wants the best for you? There is an enemy opposed to God who wants to convince you otherwise. Do you believe God is good? End of statement. Period. I was on the internet, you know how it goes, and I, long story short, I found out my roommate is now a working, college roommate is working in the provost's office at Northwestern University. So I emailed him. I said, man, we need to catch up. I mean, I got an email right back. This is what I can call. So about a month ago, we talked. And um, the last time I talked him about it, three or four years ago, he had just been diagnosed with prostate cancer. So I so said, how'd that go? It's a good idea. I went through surgery. And a couple years later, it came back. And now the logarithm says, I've been treated with radiation, the logarithm says 80% chance it'll come back again. So I go through what he called scanxiety. he does a scan, scanxiety, every three months. I just finished one and, and I'm all clear, I'm all clear, and I wrote my mom and I said, you know, all clear, and she says, God is good. And I just said to her mom, God is good, even if the scan doesn't come back good. You believe that? Or is your and my definition of God's goodness based on a result? Some of you in here have had cancer. You know what that's like. Some of you have lost someone to cancer. Is, is God still good? If the answer is no, then we're, we're at the whim of circumstances, aren't we? You got laid off, you got cancer, and you just got the short straw. Sorry. But is there a good God in charge of this? Yeah, there is. That's what we believe. But Adam and Eve, uh, they they, 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 they don't believe that about God. So if you excuse the the, the pun, they bite at Satan's offer. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from the fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband... With her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they were naked, and they sewed leaves together, and they made themselves loin coverings. Uh, what happens next? They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife did what? They hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. All of a sudden, we don't want nothing to do with God. We've rebelled. Remember, we, chapter 2, we had paradise. God created area. God created man and woman in relationship with God. We're good. You can eat any of these trees, just that one knowledge of and evil. No. Now I think I'll call my own shot. I think I'll be my own God. Go your own way. Do your own thing. God, I can do it without you. Now they're hiding from God. The relationship has changed. And now we live in a world system that intentionally excludes God. We can do it by ourselves. And, and even as a nature, as a culture, more and more, we've pushed God to the margins. we don't want to talk about him. Let me ask you, how's it working out for us? How's it working out for us? As we push God to the edge. My opinion is it ain't working out very well. But that's our issue right there. We want to be our own God. See, we're wrestling with this question. Do we, why do we have a disconnect with God? And we have one. Here's why. Our desire to be our own God disconnects us from God. Our desire to be our own God disconnects us from God. So, God confronts the issue, starting in verse nine. Then, the Lord God called the man and said, "Where are you?" He said, "I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself." And he said, "Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat?" The man said, "The woman. Blame the woman." Whom you gave to me with me, she gave me from the tree, and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent. Dece-. She blames the serpent. deceived me, and I ate. So God says to Satan, verse 14, because you have done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle. And of every beast of ever the field, and your, on your belly will you go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Foreshadowing the gospel, the seed of the woman, Jesus Christ. You're going to bruise his heel, and he's going to bruise your head. He's going to crush you. He's going to put you down. Why does God include this? To bum us out? Give us information. He does it so we can do something. Look, you and I have inherited Adam and Eve's nature. Okay, we can get mad about that. We can pitch a fit about that. Okay, I got two grandpas who died of a stroke. My dad had a serious stroke at 70. Hey, the doctors are all over my blood pressure and my cholesterol. And I could stomp my foot and I could say that's not fair. But the smart thing is, hey, doc, what can you do to help me deal with a possible stroke? Okay, you and I have an issue that we have inherited throughout humanity. We rebel against God. Our tendency is to say, you go your way, I'll go mine, I'll do my own thing. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came according to the plan of God and lived the life you and I are supposed to live. In perfect submission to the Father, right at the point he died on the cross and he rose again for the forgiveness of our sin. If you will trust him, he will forgive your rebellion and he will restore your heart and allow you to live the way you were designed to live, with him leading and guiding and directing your life. He will change your heart so little by little you will understand life is better off lived following him than calling my own shot. Now, that's a process, that's a growth process. I remember as a freshman in college, I was involved in a dorm Bible study. And uh, every week for six months, I heard the gospel. And two guys came to faith. They said, we want to get baptized. This is February 1979. And I went, man, I I, I want to get baptized too. And the guy said, we need to talk. And he shared the gospel with me one more time. And and this time, I put my faith in in Christ. This was on a Sunday morning, so Sunday afternoon, we go out, and it's it's not Lincoln, Nebraska. It's College Station, Texas. It's warmer, but it's not that warm. And so we're in a pond outside of campus, and I get baptized, and I'm freezing, and we get done, and I run back to my dorm room, and I take a hot shower, and I finally get back, and I sit down to study. And you know what I did? Internally, I shook, because I understood I had taken the keys of my life, and I put them in God's hand. He was now in control. Yeah, my sin had been forgiven. My relationship had been restored. But I thought I was better off. I came from a home where my dad lost his job all the time. I went to be a chemical engineering major at that time. There were six jobs for every engineer, 12. If you were petroleum or chemical engineer, I thought, I've got to secure my livelihood. And what if God calls me into the something else like I couldn't even think of, even say it at the time, but like the ministry or something like that. <laughs> that was 40 years ago. You know what I've come to understand, or I'm coming to understand, security's in the Lord; it's not in a job. But that was a process of me giving up control. I didn't get married until I was 33. You know, and there were processes there. I was going to have to trust God, and and on and on it can go. See, the question we have to answer is: Are we better off? Running our own life or allowing God to run our life Because there's a disconnect. Because we've been convinced by Satan that we're better off. We can do this on our own. And Adam and Eve have acted on that. And there are consequences to that choice. Here's what he says to the woman, verse 16. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring forth children yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. That last statement, I think, talks about the abuse of the fact that in the marriage relationship, the husband is the leader. But when I do premarital counseling with a couple, one of the verses I point them to, is Philippians 2, 3, and 4, consider one another more important than yourself. Look out not only for your own interests, but for the interests of others. And to the man, I say, you are the leader in this relationship. You lead in putting her interests first. You lead in considering her more important than yourself. See, yeah, there, there is a leadership position, clearly, in the Bible, in the marriage relationship. But it's not, a, it's not a position of privilege. It's a privilege of responsibility. I sacrifice for my wife. She does the same for me. But as the leader of the household... That's what I'm doing. I, I, I'm leading in sacrificing my life like Jesus sacrificed for us. But the sad part is this, this break in the relationship with God has caused a misuse of this authority. And I would argue that the break in relationship has affected every human relationship. Husband and wife. Parent and child. Parents don't trust the children. Children don't trust the parents. Boss, co-worker. Everything is affected by this shalom that we have broken by turning against God. To the man. In verses 17 to 19. He said, to Adam he said. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife. And have eaten from the tree. About which I command you saying. You shall not eat from it. Curses of the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it. And in the days of, all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles shall grow for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you will eat bread. Till you return to the ground. because it, Because from it. You were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Does anybody feel like, man, work is Work is a pain. Work at work drains me right here. The impact of sin, the impact of turning against God. where you were going to manage paradise, now you're going to struggle. And many of you I've talked with, it's a struggle. At the work, it's a struggle with sales. It's a struggle with the boss. This this is an effect of the fall. Uh, Verses 20 and 21 uh, talks about naming and giving them clothing. And then verses 22 to 24. Then the Lord said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil, and now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the Garden of Eden to cultivate the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out And at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. Humanity is expelled from garden. Humanity is expelled from paradise. So where does that leave us? Well, we'd be people of despair if it weren't for the gospel 2,000 years ago. Jesus came to die for your rebellion and mine. And he it back into heaven. And he's coming back. That's really good news. He's coming back one day, and he's going to restore our world. He's going to make it like it should have been. And, and Revelation 21 talks about that, the first four verses. This is John speaking. He's got a vision. He said, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God and made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice saying, behold, the tabernacle of God is among them. He will dwell among them and they shall be his people and God himself will be among them. And catch this, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. Could you get on board with that? no longer be any death, there will no longer be any mourning, how about that, or crying or pain, the first things have passed away. Jesus is coming back and he's going to restore our world the way it was meant to be, paradise restored. And we live in that hope. And right now we have pockets of that. We have it in part, not in full. Because Jesus sets up his kingdom in your heart and mine. And we begin to live out these kingdom principles. And we experience this in part, not in full. But we have a hope. All is not lost. Paradise will be returned because Jesus is coming back and he's going to store his rightful rule. And we will gladly live under his direction and experience life to the full the way he designed it. That's the hope we have. In the meantime, we're dealing with this disconnect with God. And those of us who have trusted him are, are growing in our capacity to understand that our best is as he leads us. But if you're here and you haven't made that decision, I encourage you to think about it. It's, it's where you get back on track with God. It's where you begin to live the way God designed you to live with fullness of life. Years ago, I, I, uh, as a kid, I grew up eating Frosted Flakes. Did anybody eat Frosted Flakes growing up? What are they? They're what? Great. So I, we didn't have a TV, but I had a friend um, lived right behind me. We'd go over and watch. and the, After school, i could go over there and we'd watch a little TV. And I saw on the commercial, you could get a Tony the Tiger action figure. For real. I think you needed like eight box tops. And you had to save about five bucks. And I was getting about 50 cents a week allowance so i say say save, save, save and mom don't don't throw those box tops away and i mean this tony the tiger action figure we was in incredible he could do amazing stuff swim and go through things and go through walls and so i i save and and then you know I, I i send it off and it allows six weeks for delivery they tell me six weeks for delivery so i wait and i wait and i wait and finally i get my tony the tiger action figure and you know what he wasn't anything like they were on TV. He was this stiff thing that you could walk. And I thought, I just, I just sold myself to this system. I mean, I, I, five bucks, 50 cents a week. I gave up 10, 10 weeks of allowance. I had to save these box tops. I got sold. I got ripped off. There was a disconnect, but what was on the TV and what I had. Hey, you and I are living in a system that tells us life will be great without God. Do your own thing. Don't, don't listen to this. There's a disconnect between what you're being promised and I'm being promised in reality. Fullness of life is found in Jesus. In a minute, the worship team's gonna come up here. They're gonna talk about the worthiness of God. The first line of that song is going to be, do you feel the world is broken? You know what the answer to that biblically is? You bet. It's messed up. It's a disaster. But we are going to continue to sing about this one, the only one who's worthy to break the disconnect. So we've got to disconnect because we want to be our own God. Jesus has come to make that right. Let me pray. We'll come up here and we'll finish by singing of the one who is truly worthy. So Lord, we are grateful for this Jesus and, and there's a disconnect that, that every one of us have caused. We, like Adam and Eve, have thought we could do it on our own and, and we've disobeyed you and we've called our own shot and, and thank you, Jesus, that, that you make a way back. Uh, forgive us, forgive me for thinking I can pull this off on my own. Lord, you are worthy. And we sing about that now in Christ's name, amen.